Well, I'd like to uh, wish all of you a very happy new year today as we start our first season in the church here, the season of Advent. And um, my first resolution is to start a different sermon series other than Revelation. Um, we are going to take a break for about five or six weeks. And uh, what we're doing in this time, either in our first season of the church year, is to go through some of the themes of Advent, the Bible readings that have been chosen for many centuries for uh, this season, and think about the disciplines of the Christian life, the things that God wants us to um, live into, the, th- the ways that he wants us to respond to him and really prepare us uh, for Christmas and for the coming of Jesus someday. Um, as you probably know, the word Advent means coming, in Latin, and it leads us to really consider the truth that Jesus, who has come uh, as a baby in Bethlehem, both God and man, will come again in great glory to judge the living and the dead, as we said earlier in the service, and to bring about a new heaven and a new earth, where um, all that is uh, against God's will is brought in Uh, is uh, taken away, and that we will see Jesus in all of his majesty. And so Advent makes us ask, how does the coming of Jesus, not only at Bethlehem, but his coming again in great glory, how does that shape your life? How does it change your priorities? How does it change the way that you make plans and live out your life day to day? It's a very... uh, uh, pointed kind of um, uh, season that we have, because it asks questions that go at the heart of who we are and what we're doing. It's especially important this time of year uh, because it can be very, very busy. Uh, the word that we often say when we ask how things are going is, I'm very busy. But it is in busyness that our hearts and our minds can wander, can be very far away from God. Uh, If you go into certain stores, uh, there is a push towards Christmas that begins very, very early. There is a pressure. Uh, There is a certain large store that has Christmas decorations and Christmas presents around the time of my youngest son's birthday, which is August 23rd. And, and the pressure grows, and, and now is the time where it comes at us <clears throat> full force. One catalog that I received yesterday uh, sort of summed up that pressure very well. It said, joy to the world, your shopping's done. <laughs> and I thought, really? Is that what the joy of the world is all about? <laughs> is that where it's found? Uh, And you see, it is a pressure that puts all kinds of unrealistic expectations on us. Um, Pressure to have the perfect presence that you buy. Uh, Pressure to prepare the most wonderful dinner party. Uh, Pressure to provide the happiest family memory. And pressure to have the most fulfilling Christmas season. Uh, That can be a very seductive expectation because there's lots of that is good about what is being pushed. Uh, But they often, the expectations often have nothing to do with the expectations of the gospel. And so they very easily lead us away from Christ and actually replace the priorities 
and the direction that God has for our lives. It leads to spiritual dullness, a sleepiness. And so Advent, in our reading from Romans, uh, there on uh, page 948, calls us to something very, very different. It calls us to a radical spiritual wakefulness and life. And so if you look at uh, chapter 13, verse 11... Uh, there's a theme. You know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. And that's because Paul knows that in this, reading, uh, in this reading, he knows that Christians uh, are tempted and pulled into spiritual sleepiness in which we are so distracted or perhaps troubled by many things in this life that we lose out on the one Thing necessary, which is Jesus Christ. And Advent and all the seasons of the church year actually bring us back to Christ. It brings us back to the living reality of the Lord of our life, and it brings us life. Now, if you, um, if you Google sleep, it is defined as a condition of body and mind, get this, in which the nervous system is relatively inactive. The eyes closed, the postural muscles relaxed, and a consciousness that is practically suspended. So there you go. Think about that when you're falling asleep tonight. Uh, It's actually a very helpful definition because spiritual sleep means that we are inactive towards God, who is our life. Uh, Our eyes are closed to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Paul prays later on in one of his letters that God would open our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, to his hope. Um, We have relaxed muscles in this sleepiness, relaxed muscles in our service for him. And finally, we're not conscious of the reality of what is going around us, that that reality that Jesus is on the throne, as as we've been hearing about in Revelation, that he rules all things, that he loves you, and he is bringing his salvation to the world and to you as well, every day. So, how do we wake up? Well, Advent brings us to God's word, because God's voice is a voice of wakefulness. It wakes us up spiritually. It's the nature of it. And uh, I don't know about you, but I find that people's voices are the most effective way to wake up in the morning. I'm not a morning person. And uh, I went through many, many alarm clocks before I was married. Hits the snooze, snooze button a lot. I was very good at sleeping through the alarm. But after the birth of my two sons, I had no problem getting up early. Uh, both my boys have been morning people. And they get up and they are ready to go uh, at full speed. And the first thing that happens when they woke up all these years is that they would start talking. I would hear voices, and uh, I could not sleep through those voices. In fact, often those voices were addressing me, so I really didn't have a choice. (laughs) In, In Advent and this morning, God's voice is addressing you. And it is actually calling you to wake up just by virtue of the living God speaking to you. And he says this in verse 8, if you look. 
owe no one anything except to love each other, which means loving Christian brothers and sisters. For the one who loves another, which means those who are outside the church, has fulfilled the law. And that word that he uses for love, agape, is the word that Paul uses for God's love throughout this book of Romans, only about God's love. Uh, And amazingly, in chapter 5, God shows that love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, God's love was poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to you. And now suddenly in chapter 12, the previous chapter and this one, Paul uses that same word for love as the way that we ought to love people in our own lives, both inside and outside the church. It's sobering in that way because we see how radical this love is. In the last chapter, chapter 12, Paul wrote that um, that love extends to working for the goodwill of even people who persecute you, even those who are your enemies. It means seeking their well-being, their goodness. Uh, And if you have feelings of vengefulness, which inevitably you will, You leave it to God's wrath. Now this will wake you up. This makes us a bit uncomfortable in our waking up. Because what he says here too is that it is the one obligation or debt that is without limit. You know, Paul's just been talking about our relationship with the government. He says, um, pay taxes, the debt of taxes. There is a limit to that, but pay what you owe. But there is... um, There is a quota, there is a limit that can never be filled or completed or paid off. And that is the quota of love. It is limitless. And it is because it is completely based on the fact that God has loved us beyond our ability to pay back. Beyond anything we can ask or imagine. Um, This is what you know you have received once you place your trust in Jesus. Uh, It is so great that Paul prays for us, that we will be strengthened to actually know in the letter of Ephesus uh, what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of Jesus' love. That pouring out of God's love is so immense that if we could see it spiritually, it would be much greater than being close up to Niagara Falls and Horseshoe Falls put together. There is this magnitude of God's love overflowing into our life. There is this abundance. Remember we talked about that in 2 Corinthians. Uh, And so the nature of God's love is it simply must overflow. It is that lavish. And God's voice says here, therefore... That if you are to love with that love, it must be shared. It must overflow into people's lives. We love because he first loved us. Uh, When we love in that way, as an overflow of God's love for us, it is full of gratitude. It is so self-giving, so full of gratitude, that God says, God's voice here says that the one who loves in this way has fulfilled the law. Look at the end of verse 8. Love has fulfilled 
the law. For the commandments you you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. These are all relationship uh, commands between us and those around us. They're all summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no, no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And again, that's because that love overflows from God. And so it desires what God commands. It loves what God loves. It seeks the good, the same good in other people that God himself seeks in people. And so the law is a wonderful gift for us who have been saved by Jesus Christ because it spells out, it makes real and concrete the ways that I can love God who has saved me, uh, return the love in, that has been lavished on me. It's not an aimless love. It's not a wishy-washy love. It is one that is clearly revealed to us by God in his law. Now, at this point, if you're like me, you will say, this is very challenging. This is hard to give. This is a debt that's hard to be paying off all of the time. Um, And if you don't think you struggle... Ask your spouse or your close friend how you're doing with this, and you may get a clearer idea. Because Paul is very open about the fact that there are two forces at work within us. We live in an in-between time where the light of Jesus has come into a dark world, but that dark world is still with us. It still affects us. I feel the pull of Adam's nature that rebelled against God and said, I want to be like God, and it asserts myself over God. And if I gratify this pull of the flesh, it means I become sleepy, spiritual, a sleepy Christian. But if I trust Jesus, I've entered into a new world. I feel the pull of Jesus Christ and eternity, and I thank God for it. But those two worlds, one of spiritual darkness, another filled by the light of Christ, overlap each other, and we have this contrast in our lives. You see that contrast in verse 11 and 12. We'll see it until the coming of Jesus. There is sleep and there is wakefulness. There's night and there's day. There's darkness and there's light uh, that we experience together. And I must follow the one pole. That's what God's voice is saying to us. The pull of the Holy Spirit. And not make provision for the other pull of flesh. So the question is, how do I do it in this struggle? How does it happen? Well, it is only by the help, the mercy, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 14 says it really beautifully. It says, I need to put on Jesus which is the same as putting on the armor of light. That which makes me able to go forth into the struggle with strength and with purpose and with confidence in Jesus Christ, not in my own abilities. The great gift that we have received from Jesus when we trust him is that we are reconciled to God, the Father, through the forgiveness of our sins. We're made his children by adoption. And that happens... Because Jesus unites himself to us and he covers us with a righteousness, a right living before God that is not our own. 
It's something that's given as a gift. And that is the basis of the spiritual armor that we put on ourselves. It's the only way that we can know the holy, perfect God and really know his love for us and his living presence in our life. Jesus has covered us with this gift. Uh, Isaiah puts it beautifully in Psalm 61. Remember, Jesus preached on Psalm 61, but here's what it says. It says, My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. You see what, how Jesus fulfills this? Jesus covers you with his robes. The robes that were made white because they are washed in the blood of the Lamb is something we have seen in Revelation. Uh, and just as um, I put these robes on this morning before the service... Jesus puts that robe of righteousness upon us spiritually. And that means that if you place your trust in Jesus, he is united to you. He walks with you. And he spiritually covers you in all your relationships. He is the closest thing to you, therefore, in all your relationships. So you look at me through Christ. And you look at the world around you through Christ. If you are angry and bitter with somebody, Christ is actually there with you and the person that you are angry with. If you are serving someone, Jesus is there in that serving, in that serving relationship. So to put on Christ means, first of all, to look at that gift of being covered by his righteousness and to receive it joyfully and live into it. It's to wake up every day thankful that you are united to Christ and that you have received his righteousness. He's given you salvation. And we see that salvation uh, described in verse 11. This is, an, a, this is a, an amazing verse because it says this. It says, The hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us than we first believed. In that little verse... We see salvation as being past, present, and future. So it says, when you first believed, meaning you have been saved from the penalty of sin when you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to give us his righteousness. At that moment, your soul was redeemed from being separated from God, and you belong to Jesus forever, something called justification. But in that verse, salvation is also present because it says that you are to wake from sleep and keep on waking from sleep every day so that you know you are being saved. Um, you are saved from the power of sin. It no longer can dominate you each day unless you willfully allow it. That present salvation is called sanctification. Uh, it, is the, it is God's work in giving your soul freedom from the power of sin and actually to worship God instead as you love others by the grace and truth of God. Paul says we are to awake to that daily. And you, are, you and I are growing in that salvation, in living out that freedom each day. But there is also a future salvation that we also focus on in, in Advent. And it says here, your salvation is nearer to us now than when you first believe. It is closer. 
So there's also an aspect of salvation that you shall be saved, not only from the penalty and the power of sin, but also one day from the presence of sin. It will no longer be there. All death, all sorrow, all suffering, all separation will be taken away from, from us forever. And we will be taken to glory and we will receive the redemption of our bodies, which Paul said a bit earlier in chapter 8 is called glorification. So do you see in this salvation that it is all God's work? It is behind us. It is with us. It is before us. He has done it all for you by his grace and his love. It is glorious and it is for you. And what Paul says with a great deal of urgency is that salvation needs to be unwrapped. It is something that we are meant to live into. And that's why he says in verse 12, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Live into that righteousness that Jesus covers you with. And, uh, and it's saying here in that little verse, to cast off works of darkness, put on the armor of light, that you actually cannot put on Christ unless you cast off the works of darkness. You cannot love in the way that he calls us to love unless you receive the love of Jesus Christ in your life. There is a real sense of repentance about the, the season of Advent. Um, it tells us that God has saved us, he is saving us, he will save us, and we must urgently take on this discipline of repentance, of casting off and putting on. This, this is what Jesus is calling to us right now. And that repentance will involve very practical things. It will involve reading God's word. That idea of time is so important in this little uh, passage. Time. Time is precious, he is saying. And we need to take that precious time to read God's word. Because they are words of life and vitality, they are words that reveal our heart, that actually bring us to that place of repentance. And we look at that and are built up in it because with God's voice, we also look for promises that we are to hold on to. We look at commandments that we are to keep, the way that we can actually love others in Jesus' name. And we can pray that Jesus gives us understanding as we read that living word. And the second thing that this passage in Advent calls us to is to ask yourself in Jesus' presence, what is the work of darkness? What is the sin in my life that I need to cast off? Is there a work of repentance? Because he has promised that the dominion of sin is lifted from us. Any sin that is holding you back, he has given us the gift of freedom from. And thirdly, uh, this passage says that we can ask the Holy Spirit to strengthen you to love. The greatest gift of the Holy Spirit is the love, is that agape that God pours into our life. It is good for us every day to ask the Holy Spirit to strengthen us to love, to pour that love into our life by his grace. And then finally, 
There is a real sense of service in what Paul is saying here. He talks an awful lot about the way that we relate to one another. He talks about the fact that we are to love in a self-sacrificing, giving way. How can I serve? So to, pr- to pray for and look for ways that I can love in the way Paul has spoken. God has chosen people in your life to serve, to care for, to bring his goodness into their lives, and to actually speak about the salvation of Jesus, which is saving you now and will save you and has saved you. You can speak about it in a unique way, in the only way that often people in your lives can hear. And I want you to notice as we go away from this passage that 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 desire to serve people in our life is the very opposite of the desires of the works of darkness. So in verse 13, we hear about all of the darkness that was surrounding the church in Rome. We hear about orgies and drunkenness, just complete uh, sort of lavish excess on oneself. Uh, It speaks about sexual immorality and sensuality, living completely for pleasure. Um, And it talks about quarreling and jealousy which were widespread. Now, these works are all about the worship of self, about asserting yourself against others and against God, not wanting to miss out, uh, obsessed with the way that people view me. And there's a bit of a shocking thing for us because busyness that we often boast in can easily have elements in it of missing out, of living for the things that affirm you and, uh, and the way people view you. But the armor of light allows us to live very differently. It strengthens us to love sacrificially. It helps us to put away the desires uh, of the flesh, the things that would take us into the works of darkness. And there is a joyful self-forgetting way of living that that armor allows us to live with Jesus Christ at the center of our planning and of our thinking. There is a true joy in this life of salvation that can't be created, it can't be experienced without Jesus, no matter what the voices of the world tell us. This is the voice of the one who has created us and has saved us. This is the real joy to the world. So may God give his grace to hear that voice in the time that he has given to us. Now let's pray together. I'm going to pray the collect that we prayed earlier for Advent. We'll close with this. Almighty God, give us grace that we may cast away the works of darkness and put upon us the armor of light now in the time of this mortal life in which your Son, Jesus Christ, came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day, when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal through him who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.